Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Stewardship podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hewn, one of the editors of Beyond Stewardship, New Approaches to Creation Care. Beyond Stewardship is available from Calvin Press at calvin.edu slash press and major online retailers. The Beyond Stewardship podcast is a series of interviews with the chapter authors of Beyond Stewardship. My very special guest today is Kathy Grunendyke, author of Chapter 2 in Beyond Stewardship, Words Matter, But Audience Matters More. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I look forward to talking to you. It's a pleasure to have you here. I know you as a professor of communication at Calvin University, but why don't you introduce yourself more fully for the listeners? Sure. So I actually am a graduate of Texas A&M University for my master's degree. I went to Penn State University for my doctoral degree, and there I studied communication with a focus on environmental communication. And from Penn State, I came and started my teaching career at Calvin, and I've been here for going on to 21 years. Uh, So it's been a little while. Uh, And my specialty still is this intersection between environmental communication, but also visual rhetoric. So I tend to be drawn to, again, kind of visual images of the environment and how those can be used to kind of inspire action. But I'm also really interested in thinking about how we, as communicators, can more effectively deal with uh, conflict and how we can change our communication to diffuse conflict. Who would you say are communicators? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, if communication was an easy skill, we'd have more effective communicators around. Uh, so I think it does take intentional study, you know, for that. Yeah. Uh, and it takes a certain level of thoughtfulness. So it definitely takes some kind of learned approach to do it well. Yeah. Each chapter in Beyond Stewardship begins with a story. And your chapter begins with a story of a preacher who is convicted that a story needs to be told. Yep. Can you set the scene for us? Sure. So actually, the, the preacher is also my husband. Uh, and so, you know, living with him and then watching him go through this process of he was asked to preach at a rural church. And it was a church that he knew quite well because he had spent one summer up there and was kind of the interim uh, pastor uh, during one summertime. Uh, Several months passed, they asked him to come back and preach. And during that time, he had been reading from the Old Testament and was reading about um, the Old Testament king's misuse of the cedars of Lebanon. Right. Uh, this kind of greed and wanting to cut down the cedars of Lebanon for greed. And at the same time as he's reading through that, the New York Times um, and then the other news outlets post a story about what climate change is doing to the cedars of Lebanon. And so he felt very convicted to talk about this. You know, what is our calling uh, for creation care and how do we do this? So as he was talking to me about these ideas and how to write the sermon about it, he and I would talk a lot about, well, how do you talk about this with people who you don't know whether or not they think climate change is happening? Uh, If if only he had an expert in communication in the house. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe that would have helped. (laughs) That's right. So we talked about it, and so he very rarely used the term climate change because that can cause such a trigger reaction. Um, But he knew that this church was really rural and really committed to farming, and stewardship, proper land stewardship, was really important. So he did use the term stewardship uh, in that sermon. 
And afterwards, he got a lot of comments. Uh, you know, you never know f- for sure what the full impact of a sermon will be. Right. But one person from the congregation did come up to him and said, thank you for approaching this topic in the way that you did because we f- I felt like you respected us and that you engaged us to think through these issues well. Yeah. yeah. That's really terrific. Um, it must have been gratifying to him to take that approach and then be rewarded for it. Yep. And then he shared that with you, and yep. that must have uh, yeah. been a good, good. experience right. um, all around. Yeah. yeah. But not an easy situation to walk no, into, especially if you think that is your the thing you need to be communicating. Right. And I think, too, you know, he was an outsider. He's not from that uh-huh. area. You know, and people tend to view outsiders more suspiciously. Uh, what do you know about our area? Uh, and so making sure, again, that his language, how he talked about these issues, was respectful. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned that he used the term stewardship mm-hmm. in the sermon. And I'm wondering what you see as the benefits and some limitations of the concept right. of Christian environmental stewardship. Yeah. Um, as the title of my chapter s- suggests, I think, again, knowing your audience is crucial. So for some audiences, stewardship can be a positive way to view our actions. Now, is it a full fledged and fully developed, not necessarily, but could be a good starting point. Um, So I think the term stewardship, you know, can be a helpful way with some audiences to find common ground uh, and then kind of move us forward in our discussions. So you see it as a starting point? I see it as a starting point for some groups, not every group, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a group that, you know, is really committed to land stewardship, um, and see that as being very respectful, and you have to be very informed to do land stewardship well. So the Aldo Leopold <laughs> readers of San County Almanac, yeah. um, that they're going to view that term more fully and more hopeful, and that's a good starting point. I see. Yeah. Some drawbacks to the idea of Christian environmental stewardship. It's only one way of looking at the relationship. And that one way, any one way, can be limiting. Okay. And so that one way of stewardship still puts us in kind of a hierarchy with the land. Uh, right. And that could be problematic. And it's not... We need to also be kind of change how we think so that we can see that, yep, there's some certain situ- situations where we need to change our relationship and to the land and therefore the actions that we take to the land and creation. So it sounds like you are willing to use the term stewardship when it provides a little bit of benefit, but you're a little bit wary at the same time, understanding that maybe we need to do more or move beyond it in other circumstances or as a progression happens of Yep. Learning, action, understanding, yep. whatever. And the other chapters in the book do a really good job of pointing out in more detail the shortcomings of that term stewardship and how that term stewardship can be harmful. Um, but again, you've got to figure out where your audience, who you're talking to, where they're starting at, yep. and then move from there. Because Kay. for some people, if you take a very, very different approach, that might be too big of a jump and they're never going to get there with you. Yep. Okay. Each chapter in Beyond Stewardship takes some kind of a turn. And I think we were kind of already hitting at that a little yeah. bit. But um, and, and that turn brings the reader beyond stewardship yep. and moves us to some other place. I'm wondering if you could read a few sentences from your chapter where you make that turn and then expound on that a yeah. little bit. 
So I think there's probably a few. I'm going to go with one I think that caught my attention first, and this is um, comes a little bit earlier on in the chapter. So I write, attempts to promote creation care must always begin with intentional efforts to understand one's audience, as we rhetoricians like to emphasize, followed by careful selection of language that will engage that particular audience. If we carefully think about our audience and wisely choose our words to communicate well with them, we can unexpectedly find common ground with people we thought were our adversaries. And collectively, there will be more people engaged together in creation care. So I think that that is, again, about, like, I think humbling ourselves. And this is why I think that this works really well uh, kind of to have as a Christian perspective, too. When you start talking with others about creation care, about climate change, these kind of other issues that might be contentious. Get to know who you're trying to talk to. Get to know who you're trying to work with. Um, respect them as humans. Uh, find what common ground. And that common ground could even be, hey, we both like to fish this particular river. That's mm-hmm. a common ground. That's a starting point. That's a starting point. And then build from there. Yeah. You know, well, if fishing is really important to you, then how can we better take care of the surrounding area so that the fishing stays good? Mm-hmm. And it, that may seem like really small steps, but you've got to figure out how can I work together with someone so that I don't offend and turn them off right away. Yeah, because if you want to get to another place, if you turn them off right immediately, then you have no chance of getting to the next spot. Right. So I know from previous conversations with you that you highly regard the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication, and that program plays an important role in your chapter. Can you explain a little bit about that program for the listeners? What are its goals and what are its insights that it's bringing to the topic of environmental or stewardship communication. Yeah. So the Yale program of um, climate change communication just gathers kind of top scholars to research in issues about um, American attitudes towards climate change, environmental attitudes um, in general, and again, how best to relate to people on these very important environmental topics. So they have a number of um, surveys that they conduct, analysis of those surveys, just looking at kind of trends in the U.S. population. And that's really helpful because then we realize that it's not black or white thinking that most people have. There's a nuance there. Uh, and certain types of themes really do resonate more with the American public on environmental topics than others. Uh, and if we're trying to, again, tr- find common ground, find ways to get more people to act, it's just really helpful to know that range and where people are at on that range. Yeah. What sort of insights are coming from that project after they've identified what the ranges look like and that you can't consider the american public yeah. to be m- monolithic or yep. or binary even right um what sort of things are they uncovering and and what and how is that how is what they're uncovering helpful for people who want to communicate well right. on environmental issues right i think w- um one thing that has been really interesting is to note that um like the they identify the six American publics. Uh, and so there's groupings of people who are alarmed about climate change, people who are concerned, and then it ranges down to those who are dismissive of it. I see. And so that dismissive group, I think what they f- have uncovered with that research is we're never going to change their attitudes. And I think that that's, that's consistent with traditional rhetorical theory. Those people who are completely dismissive, you're never going to reach them. They're the trolls on social media uh-huh. and that you're never going to turn. Uh, so ignore them (laughs) and Ah. you want to then target those audiences that um, 
are more on the fence, you know, get them to become more concerned. Or if those are people who are alarmed, what actions are they taking? And that kind of that research from the Yale um, program helps us better understand how we need to be um, shaping our messages, how we need to be kind of talking about this, and what specific actions we're telling people to do that resonates with where they're at on that spectrum. So they've dug into those those mm-hmm. middle yep. um, groupings and found things that are right. effective. So right. And so for, Christ- for people who do have some religious faith, having um, someone who is well-respected within a religious faith speak about climate change makes a huge impact on them. Interesting. And so for, um, so when Pope Francis first began speaking about climate change, Catholics were really moved by that because kind of moral imperatives were valuable to them uh, and they were more likely to be affected by that. Well, that actually brings me to my next sort of line of questioning here, and that is, who do you know is doing this well? Your main point really is that knowledge of audience on any communication, but especially on creation care issues, is really important and paramount. And can you give us some examples of people or organizations who are especially good at this with regard to creation care? So um, one person that I follow that I think is doing a great job and she's getting recognized for this is the scientist Catherine Hayhoe. And she is a professor at Texas Tech. Uh, And um, if you know anything about Texas, you can think, oh, okay, if she can successfully talk about climate change and then teach at Texas Tech, you know, that points to something. Um, She's also um, a Christian. And the fact that then she can say, I'm a Christian and I'm concerned about this, you know, that really really reaches a wide audience. So she's recognized as being one of the more influential leaders in kind of evangelical circles about climate change action. Yeah. Um, and she does a great job on Twitter in terms of presenting the information in a way that engages without shutting people down. Uh, and watching her global weirding uh, YouTube videos, mm-hmm. they're informative, they're funny, but they reach people where they're at. And it's just a She's a scientist who must have a very good sense of communication because she communicates really effectively. Yeah. Did she take any of your classes? No, she <laughs> didn't. <laughs> <laughs> she should have. Exactly. <laughs> Seems like she did. Um, is it worthwhile to speak about people who are doing this poorly? I mean, there's an example in your, your book yeah. of, of uh, one of the members of the U.S. administration mm-hmm. who took the idea of stewardship in a different direction. And right. it might be interesting to share that story with the listeners. Right. So um, this was with the first you know, EPA administrator, um, Pruitt. And he had was very active on uh, Twitter, trying to, again, communicate what work his, administra- his work in the EPA was trying to do. And he emphasized jobs businesses. What we're doing on the environment is going to be good for businesses. And then he used the term stewardship, but he was talking about stewardship of jobs. And this is Mm -hmm. where that term stewardship becomes problematic because it loses the meaning of kind of creation care. And also the way that he was talking about it, some people could say, oh, he's talking, he's hinting here at dominion, that kind of Christian perspective that we are supposed to dominate the earth. Right. Uh, and that's where stewardship becomes problematic is when people start blurring the lines in that direction. Um, and that's where people become, uh, certain audiences become put off from that term yep. stewardship because it sounds like too much like dominion and that you're only trying to steward jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
when a communicator tunes a message for an audience, mm -hmm. do they not run the risk of compromising or watering down their message as they move potentially from one audience to another? How does one stay true to your principles and convictions in that process? How do communication yeah. thinkers navigate this tension? Yeah, I think there's one great theorist named Kenneth Burke, and he really emphasized the importance of identifying you with your audience. You're building identification. And it is that idea of like you're becoming one with your audience. Okay. So you can stay true to who you are while still trying to understand your audience and then trying to figure out what language you can use that communicates your principles in a way that's not offensive. Yep. Uh, and so it is about you don't have to change your principles to talk about it but you might be taking a slightly smaller step, you know, uh, to get to your principles um, in a way that, again, makes it palatable. So um, you can think about it in any terms of, like, even Christian evangelism, right? You know, y y how can you start in a way that that message works for that audience Got it. and and it is kind of a series of small steps you're laying the seed work you're laying the groundwork and then you're building on that each time at the same time again y you have to respect that your person you're talking to has their own opinions yeah. uh, and how can you respect that person while still disagreeing that's an interesting parallel or model with the uh, the process of evangelism mm -hmm. um, where I don't think anybody who is a missionary or an evangelist would say that they're compromising their principles to mm -hmm. present a simpler or a more basic right. version of the gospel. Yep. Or even pre-sharing the yep. gospel. Um, so you're not sacrificing your or, or, or changing your principles to do that. Right. You're still holding them, but you're looking for those effective Exactly. Opportunities and exactly. ways to communicate. Yep. Uh -huh. And it's a lot too, like parenting, right? You're trying to kind of work some small steps to how you want your child to behave, right? Right. And it's not changing what I value as a parent, but I'm taking small steps to get my child to yeah. agree with me on those bigger principles too. Yeah. yeah. Now a question that I'm a little bit afraid to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you think that Beyond Stewardship, the book does a good job of communicating with its intended audience, which is Christians with a passion for and concerns about the non-human creation. I think it does. So you're good. You're safe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it helped because, you know, you pulled in so many different authors with different perspectives. I see. Uh, and so, you know, in those workshops that we had, you know, that summer, you know, we had even on people who would be like-minded, very different perspectives and different ways of talking about this. Right. Uh, and that, I think, really creates a book then that's open to a wide t range of readers uh -huh. and respecting them. So it, I think it works for that um, reason because, you know, you pulled in a lot of different perspectives at an early s start. So you can imagine some readers, say, perspective A will resonate mm -hmm. with chapter 6 and right. perspective B will resonate with chapter 11. Yep. That kind of thing. Exactly. And y you see that as a, a strength. I then. think it's a strength. Okay. Because it's a, you know, you want to, again, reach people where they're at. Uh, right. And there's different entryways into mm -hmm. this subject matter with the book. 
So if you could reiterate one thing, one hope that you have that readers will take away from your chapter, mm-hmm. um, what would it what would it be? Or, or or maybe how do you think your chapter assists our target audience to care for creation differently or right. better than they were doing before they read the book, right. your chapter? So I think, you know, basically what I'm trying to get people to see is that, you know, the language that we use matters yes. uh, because it it suggests a certain way of acting, a certain way of thinking about things. But w- we also have to think then about how our audience understands those words. Okay. And so if we're trying to, again, get more people to take environmental action, then we need to figure out how to pull them in and, and appeal to them and yeah. um, respect them you know, for that. And a good communicator always respects his or her audience, Mm -hmm. tries to understand them, and then, okay, let's work forward on this and thinking carefully about the language that we use so that we can find common ground and build on that common ground. Yeah, yeah. So one last question. Yes. The Beyond Stewardship process involved much more collaborative work among the chapter authors than might be typical for an edited volume. And you alluded to that in some of your earlier discussion today. I'm wondering if you can share an anecdote or a story about the writing process for your chapter mm-hmm. and for the book that you were participating in that highlights the links between your chapter and maybe yeah. some of the other chapters in the book. Yeah, and I think also, you know, thinking back through that process, I also note kind of the differences and, again, okay. the different lenses of approaching this topic. So, again, thinking about Becky Haney's story and kind of how she approached with writing her chapter was very different than kind of the work that I was doing. So mm-hmm. it was really eye-opening to see kind of those perspectives and how that shaped kind of their um, writings and kind of what they wanted to emphasize in their work. Sure. Um, I think, though, that the similarities that I was seeing was um, with... Um, Dieter Bauma, when he was talking about, you know, going abroad and talking uh-huh. to other people. And, right. you know, they had a certain relationship to the land where st- stewardship didn't, you know, uh, it might not have worked for everyone. And, and so they, he had to be careful about what language he used because of that type of situation that they were in. Right. Um, and and in, fact, in fact, that really surprised him. Yes. It took him by surprise that he had that insight and that revelation yep. in the moment. Yep. Yeah. And then um, with kind of listening to Kyle Scott talk about yeah. kind of his experiences and trying to do, again, kind of evangelical work and that for certain audiences, stewardship does resonate as a starting point because of the type of background that they came from where stewardship was a respected approach. So, you know, there's definitely, you know, benefits of knowing that your audience has a certain understanding where a word either resonates or does not. Right. And so if it doesn't resonate with that audience, don't use it. <laughs> Find right. a different way to talk about the issue. Mm-hmm. So. Good. Well, that's all the time we have for today. My thanks to Kathy Grunendike for joining me uh, for this episode of the Beyond Stewardship podcast. I wonder if you have any upcoming projects that listeners might want to know more about. Yeah, it's uh, some things in the hopper that are going to be taking a little while just because of my different type of teaching and administrative work. But I am going to be looking more at um, how Christians are talking about climate change. Okay. Uh, and so looking at Pope Francis, but also doing some more work at looking at other type of discourse from Christians on climate change that's positive and that is gaining traction. So doing that type of analytical work. Great. And where can listeners find more about you and your work? I think probably the best place and safest place is just going to the Calvin website and, you know, finding me on there um, and um, 
exploring that website. Well, thank you again, Kathy. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Beyond the Stewardship podcast. Goodbye, everyone. Beyond Stewardship is available from Calvin Press at calvin.edu slash press and major online retailers. Thank you.